Are you ready for some word today? All right, let's go over to Romans chapter 4, Romans the fourth chapter. I want to continue today with a series. If you haven't figured it out yet, we do series, series around here as opposed to one, one pops. Occasionally we do that or two, but I like to minister on a subject, one, for one reason, so that we can cover more ground. And I don't have to try to jam it all in and feel like I'm in a hurry or, or just do marathon services. You're not going to be here all day. Uh, I'll give you digestible size portions each week. And, uh, and this, is, this is food for your faith. But the other reason is, is when we'll put our mind on something for a period of time and, and not just treat it like a 30-second commercial in life. And, you know, but we'll put our mind on something in life over a period of time, over weeks, and sometimes over months, you'll find that you'll get established in truth to a greater degree than if I just, uh, you know, give a message for a week or two and then move on to a different subject and you never think about it again. I hope that you have been pondering, if, again, those who have been here, if you're not, if you're new with us, I understand this will stand alone. I believe it'll help you even all by itself, but you can get the other messages on our website uh, as well. But I hope that you have been pondering and meditating on and even acting on these principles that we've been sharing you from this series. Here's the title now, Convinced. I'm convinced that if I am convinced of something that God has said and something that is true, that I will experience not only the manifestation of what He said, I will experience God in relationship to that. But if I continue in my, life, in my life wavering, wondering, not certain, not sure about anything, then I will miss out on much of what God has planned for my life. Everybody with me now? Anybody convinced? <laughs> well, you don't have to be yet. I mean, I, honestly, in my teaching, I'm trying to convince you. <laughs> of the validity and the necessity of being convinced, and then take it a step further and say, this is how you become convinced of anything that is that you deem uh, worthy, that you see is true, that you recognize is, is the real thing. Praise the Lord. So our, our text over here is, is Romans chapter 4, talking about Abraham. All right, Paul wrote the book of Romans, inspired by God, about Abraham, said, verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so if Abraham got high mention in, in, in the Bible, all right, high mentioned by key people as an example, as an illustration of something we should follow, and he did that because he didn't waver, then let's not, uh, let's not allow wavering to continue in our own lives. That doesn't mean we have to beat ourselves up and say, ah, you just, you're just a doubting Thomas. You're just a, you're just a waverer. I just can't. No, 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 no. We don't have to beat ourselves up, but we also don't have to stay there. Huh? There are things that I need to grow in in my own personal life. I don't need to be condemned about it. I'm forgiven in Christ. He accepts me in Christ. And so that's fine. But I also don't have to stay there. I don't have to stay immature in an area of my life. I don't have to stay wavering and wandering and, and, and not certain about anything. I, I can change. You believe, say, I know, I believe that's true. I believe you can change. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm hoping to, to illustrate for 
for personal benefit, <laughs> yourself, that you believe as well that you can change. Amen? We're not throwing sticks and stones and uh, names or anything else at anybody. But let's all see where we're at and go further. That would be a good idea? Let's become convinced so that if Bibles were written, I know they're not, but if there were another Bible to be written, maybe we would get in there. So, well, that'd be pretty cool. How could I get in there? Don't waver. Be fully convinced of what God has said. That carries great weight in heaven. It carries great significance in the mind of God. Those who will be there day in, day out, month in, month out, year after year, they're solid, they're steady. They lay hold of what God has provided and walk in it. Praise God. And so we shared with you so far uh, three basic reasons or methods as to how a person can become convinced and therefore experience God. We said to you that, that we become convinced because of evidence, because of evidence. And, and in particular, in that, that point, we were talking about eyewitness accounts, all right? That will settle truth in your heart. Secondly, we said that the testimony of others' experience, the testimony of others' experience can move us into a place of certainty, all right? And, and third, third we, we said to you that personal revelation personal revelation is a way and really a primary way that a a person becomes convinced of truth. God reveals something to you. I want to say a few more things about that uh, before we move on to number four. In fact, go over with me to Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews, the sixth chapter. You see, every promise was given to this end that we might be sure There's a reason God promised you things. There's a reason we frequently talk about the promises of God. It is so we might be sure, that we might be settled and certain as to God's intent, His will, His plan, something we can bank our lives on, something we could throw ourselves onto where if God's not real, we're going under, but we're throwing ourselves over there anyway. Because we're convinced that he is and what he promised, what he said is true. That will sustain and hold us up even in the worst of situations. Okay, they're not written, the promises are not written as possibilities, as possible outcomes. God promised us things in order to erase all remnants of doubt. You see, God knows why we're experiencing or not experiencing his best in life and a relationship with him that's amazing. He knows exactly why. So, well, why don't he just fix it? He does it by promising us something. And if we receive a promise, it removes all question. It removes all doubt to the end where now we can experience his best. I don't know if I'm making sense. I am to me. I'm making a whole lot of sense. Uh, uh, Hopefully it carries out beyond the edge of the platform. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6. Notice this language over here. 6.13. It said, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And, And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, 
and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all disputes. Thus God determining to show more abundantly the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Praise God. I just want you to notice the language here that from God's perspective, an oath or a promise, these things are unnecessary. It's not even the way we're encouraged to live. But he, because of Abraham's condition, he knows our our frailty. God will go overboard. He did with him and confirmed these things with an oath. There was, there was the oath and there's the reality that he can't lie. And why would he do that? Because he knew that Abraham had to get into a place of belief, of, persuade, of being persuaded, convinced of truth before what he said, meaning God, before what God said, what he wanted, his will, his plan could actually happen. You say, it almost sounds like you're saying God is limited in our lives based upon what we believe. That's actually true. It actually is. He wants to do so much more in all of us, but He honors our heart. He honors our choices. He honors our position of faith or lack thereof. If I am convinced of what he said is true, now he's got a road to drive on. Now he's got an inroad into my life. But if I, if I look at him and hear him and, and find out what is and, and I refuse to be sold out to that and I say, well, I don't know. And I don't mean that someone can't be there. We just, we just don't want to stay there. Everybody with me? If you're there, fine. Again, no condemnation, but let's, let's get going I want to encourage you to come along as we go on a journey and you'll get to a place where you're settled, you're sure, you're certain, and watch God move in your life. You'll experience Him to such a powerful degree that you'll recognize uh, the, the, the necessity of being convinced. And so he's talking about here how men do this and a, uh, an oath for confirmation is an end of all dispute. Well, God said, all right, you guys operate that way. I know how you, all right, here, here's an oath from me. Here's my word. I cannot lie. Here's an oath. Be settled. Be sure. Be established. You know, Second Peter said that all the promises of God have been given to us. They're called exceeding great and precious promises uh, that, that we might partake of his divine nature. We'll say, well, why don't God just... Put his divine nature in my life. Why can't it just be because of who he is? Doesn't work that way. He is who he is. His will is what it is. Therefore, he promised us things. How many know if it's all up to God and he's just going to do it, we can skip over the promise section? It doesn't matter what he promised or didn't promise. God's just going to do it. No, he promised so that it would be settled in us. Once it is, there's agreement with you and God. How can two walk together lest they be agreed? Amos 3. 
We must have agreement with the Lord. Once we do, there's a continual flow of His power and blessing into our lives. And so, again now, a promise is simply a divine assurance of good. God promised you, guaranteeing you good things flowing from Him into your life. Say it out loud. I believe. I receive everything He promised me. Amen. I know that's generic, but that's a good generic place to start, isn't it? That I acknowledge you, Lord, and whatever I find out that is of you, that is true, I purpose and I choose today to accept it, to base my life upon it. Amen? Amen. And so this is personal revelation. When he reveals things, ooh, then they're alive in us. Then they happen. Say, I understand that, but, I, but if, if the Lord doesn't reveal something to me, what am I supposed to do? I mean, isn't He the one that pulls back the, the veil, the curtain, so we can see beyond it? That's actually true. God is the revealer, all right? We are not the revealer. We don't necessarily go up and pull it back ourselves. But what we do, because God is willing, because He, because he wants to show you things, I encourage you to believe that. Don't believe for a moment that, that God is withholding His goodness from your life. Th- that belief's not going to help at all. Uh, but but accept, know this, that God wants to show you. He wants to answer the questions that you have. He wants to show Himself strong in your life. Praise God. But He is the one who pulls back the curtain. But knowing that's His will and His favor towards me, what part do I have in this? Let me give you three real quick. All right. First of all, A, ask him to reveal. Just simply ask. There's always, there's the asking part. He is the responding part. He is the giver. But the Bible says much about. Jesus said much. The apostles said much about asking. You can do that, can't you? It can be it can be real complex and you can quote a lot of scriptures or you could just if you forget forget about it all at the moment, you could just say, "Father God in heaven, show me your will." Reveal to me your plan, your purpose, your provision, everything you want for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that a good prayer? That's pretty simple. Hold on, i got to write that down. No, no, no. It doesn't have to be exact. This is not about legalism, about got to get the words. Pray to the Father in the name of Jesus and fill in the middle with your heart's desire. (laughs) Amen. And and, and the more scripture we know, of course, that helps our faith, but... uh, God hears your voice, all right? Secondly, set your mind on Him. Secondly, or B, not only, not only ask, but set your mind on Him and His promises. When you, re- when you read something from the Bible, when you, re- when you hear something that is of Him, you set your mind on that instead of a gazillion other things. You're putting yourself in position to receive revelation. When you stare at it long enough, in faith now, you stare at it, and you're trusting God to show it to you. You look for things, and you, you're looking for answers, and you're trusting God to show it to you. You're in position to, to, to see, okay? I, when, the, when the curtain pull, is pulled back, I don't want to be looking over here. Show me, Lord, show me. <laughs> Set your mind on Him and His promises, and then see or the third one here, is expose yourself to anointed spoken words. Expose yourself to anointed spoken words. We covered that some in our message last week. It is the anointed preaching, teaching of the Word of God that will cause uh, 
uh, our hearts to see things. And that is, by the way, God pulling the veil back. It is his, Him revealing and showing us things that we would not otherwise see. Okay? So, everybody ready for number four today? Number four, let's talk about another way that, uh, that we become convinced. Number four is experience. Number four is experience. You might write this alongside that in your notes. Use. Use. We want to, when we use what we have been given, it becomes ours more, far deeper, far greater than if we just know about it. There is a vast chasm in, in people's lives in the, in the body of Christ between those who know something and those who use what they know. We have a whole lot of believers in the land today that have been taught they have been through classes, they have been through studies, been through schools, been through church services galore, have memorized Scripture. But the great gap between what they have heard, what they know, and what they are using in their life is keeping them from being uh, at the level that really is, becomes necessary to be established. Okay, when we take what we have and put it into practice, it will become ours more than ever. I can, I can accept the promise of laying hands on the sick from Mark 16 as truth. Uh, in fact, probably a, a large majority of us, if I quote those scriptures and if I read that, uh, if, if, you know, we would give a hearty amen that, yes, I believe that, yes, that's true. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But I'm telling you, it is on a whole nother level when a person actually lays hands on the sick and they recover. There is something that takes place inside of a person's heart that takes them to, a ne- to the next level when they participate in the power of God. When they practice the, the, the promises that God has given, they become convinced more than ever. And if I have a problem, if I have a challenge, I'll take a practitioner over a scholar any day of the week. I want to know someone who's been there in the trenches, someone who's been doing the work, someone who not only says I'm a Christian, has a bumper sticker and carries a big Bible around, but someone who actually has it in their heart to the degree that it governs their life. That when they run up against obstacles and situations, they take what God has said and they put it into practice and they see change in life. There are, these are the people that pray and get answers. These are the people that actually are actually happy. The joy of the Lord works in their life. They don't just sing the song and quote the verse and live sad. Okay, these are people that have taken what God has said to another level, and it really shouldn't be another level, there should only be one level. It's just, I've taken God's Word, and I've used it, and look what happened. Look what's going on in my life now. Look what happened in this person's life when I, I used God's Word on them. That person just lives a life that a whole lot of believers don't know whole lot of people don't know. They think, I understand Christianity. I understand a relationship with God. No, you don't. Not if you only know it up here. 
Not only if you have a mental log and library of Bible stuff and church stuff, you don't know what it's like to walk with God. That's a whole different thing. And we are never going to be convinced like Abraham was and, and like different people in the, in, the, in the Scriptures were or like some of us in here to, will never be convinced to that level until we pick up the bat and go stand up there next to the plate and someone's throwing a ball 100 at us. <laughs> Got to get up there and do something. Go over with me to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. I, I do encourage you. See, this would be one of those things. I realize there, uh, there are always uh, many folks who are coming and, and you don't bring a Bible. You, didn't, you know, that's fine. No problem there. Uh, that's right why we put things on the screens. Some of you use your electronic Bibles. That's fine. That's no big deal. But there's a reason why I ask and encourage people, let's go here. Let's look at this. We've got to stop being observers of, of, of Christianity. We've got to stop observing and being able to explain what we see and just watching life happen. Even though this is a small thing, you know, like reading the Scriptures for ourselves, it can have a powerful effect in a broader scope that we get in the habit of not just listening, not just watching, not just observing, but being a part of something, participating in it. Things will go much deeper. They will be established much more than the outcome will be as God intended. All right. Too many Christians live in the land of theory. They can quote scripture and explain a truth, but they don't have any real world experience. And I tell you, God wants to show himself strong in your life. Wants to do something powerful in you, through you, to the degree that it becomes yours. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 17 is the account in the Bible about a very large man. Anybody know any large men from the Bible? There was a dude named Goliath, all right? And there was a guy, a young shepherd boy named David. And if you know the story, we're not going to read the whole thing. But Goliath was a Philistine. They were arrayed in battle against Israel. And he was a massive dude. Strong, tall, trained warrior. And he went out there and and would mock day after day Israel. He'd stand out there and say, you know, you got anyone who's going to fight? And he would mock God. He would mock their, their, their God and their whole country because then everyone was afraid of him. He thought, I'm not fighting that dude. I mean, he is massive. And, and they were freaked out. David, of course, he was just a young guy. He was taking care of the sheep. He had a couple brothers that were, that were there fighting, and he would bring them. The Bible said he would bring them bread, and then he brought their, their commander, Cheese. And, uh, and so, uh, but he was over there uh, going to, to, to the battle to bring his brothers these things. And he, he found out what was going on and found out about Goliath and, and him taunting them and, and all this stuff. And, and basically... Um, he volunteered when he heard, he heard about, one, he heard about that he was coming against God. He said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> he, he's coming against God. And then he found out all the, all the things that he was going to get. 
no taxes, the king's daughter, you know, all this stuff, uh, if he would be the one to take out Goliath. And he volunteered, said, yeah, I'll take him. And he was just a small guy. Let's pick up here and read. Because I, I hear about this. Let's stop for a moment. I say, I think, why was he so sure that he could handle this? He wasn't suicidal. We have no record that he was thinking, you know what, I don't really like my life anyway. I might as well go out with some honor. I might as well go out and have a name for myself, you know, killed by Goliath. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I, I have no indication that... David really believed that he could win. That he, as this shepherd boy, could go out there and take out a mighty warrior. Why was he so certain? When I see things like that, I immediately apply to my own life. I'm not looking for a fight, but there are battles in life. There are things that I want to do. There are things that God wants me to do. I need to be convinced as he was to where I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to put my life on the line. I'm going to risk everything based on what I know is what God has said. And if he became convinced a certain way, can't I? Verse 34, but, say, but David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took, the, uh, bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it. And delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine. Now, you know what that means. That just means he uncircumcised. He's, he's talking about covenant there. That was a sign of their covenant with God. He's saying, this heathen who doesn't even know God. He's going to come out here and do this. He said, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, one of the the lion or the bear. He said, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. So he's not just approaching this from a natural perspective, saying, my biceps are just as strong as his. They weren't, all right? He's not trained like he was. Verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now we see David's thinking. When he was questioned about his activity, about what he was going to do, he immediately went back to his experience, didn't he? He had been, what was going on? How did he get to that place where he believed that he could take out the giant? He was out in the field. Spending time with God, obviously he knew that God was his protector, that God would fight for him, that God was his shield, that, 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 that the covenant relationship that he had with God would supersede any natural attack that could easily take him out. Even though the lion and the bear are considered smaller battles than Goliath, it's still a lion and a bear. <laughs> Not talking a cat and a dog, right? I kicked the cat one day and I can take out the giant. Uh, No. Uh, He he had already done what? It had become his practice, his manner of life, to use the covenant relationship that he had with God to overcome the things that were before him that day. I don't think he was going out looking for a fight with the lion 
or the bear. They came into his life without request. Have you ever had anything like that before? You're just going along. You didn't ask for it. You weren't, you know, it's like, where did this come from? This, you know, all of a sudden there's a lion in my life. Well, he drew upon the covenant that he had with God. He was certain that God would back him up. And so he started I wouldn't doubt if there were other things, maybe cats and dogs, I don't know. But, uh, you know, even things before the lion and the bear. But somewhere when something came up against him, he used the covenant. He practiced the promises. And he said, this is who God said he he is. This is what he said he would do for me. And so I'm going after the sheep. And I'm getting it back. And he did that with multiple things. And when it came to Goliath, it's like, you got to be kidding me. You guys are all... Fr- He's coming against God. This uncircumcised Philistine attacking the armies of the living God. This is not a trouble here. This is not a fight. God against Goliath. I'll be the delivery boy. And he, you know, you know the story. He picked up the stones and took out the Goliath and chopped off his head. And, and uh, oh, happy day. right but you all realize even though we know many of us know the story the beginning the end we know how it turns out there was something so real in him that would cause him to go out there and naturally speaking risk his life that i like man i like that i want to be that convinced of the reality of god's hand in my life then I will do things that are naturally impossible, that are physically impossible. And it won't be me, it'll be the glory of God. It'll be the promises of God coming to pass in life. Amen. I I was reading these uh, scriptures in the New Testament in in studying for these messages. In fact, right way back at the beginning, we talked about the word that was translated convinced. And uh, that member from Romans 4, again, Abraham became fully convinced of what he, was, what he promised he was able also to perform. And it's interesting how you get insight just by looking at how these words are used in other passages. In one place, Paul wrote to Timothy and told him, the book of Timothy, he wrote, uh, I forget which one now, but uh, I didn't write the reference. He told him to fulfill his ministry. He said, Timothy fulfill your ministry and as i was looking these things up that's the same word translated convinced fulfill your ministry and a lot of times again we think of these terms of belief and convinced and we think that's just a state of mind but yet they're used in application of people's lives and saying he said be convinced I guess. He, but he said it this way. Fulfill your ministry. And so really, when these things become settled in our lives and they're the real thing, it's not just a state of mind that we live in. It is an activity that we participate in. Alright? When I fulfill my ministry, I act on what God said, what He promised me, what He said He would do. Then I am operating in this world of convinced fully persuaded i'm settled i am fulfilling something not just sitting back looking at it believing something about it it'll never be yours until you pick it up and go do it 
You'll never be at this level that we're talking about until you grab hold of this thing by the horns and ride it. I'm telling you, sitting in the stands is is just a, a low level of Christianity. Thank you, Lord. Again, once you lay hands on the sick and see them recover, that becomes a part of your life. Hmm. I, I like to study things and know things. Obviously, I have to prepare to, cut, to, to teach. But there are things in my life that I can tell you, they wouldn't be near as big if I hadn't been in the muck. <laughs> I hadn't been down there doing it. I hadn't actually got involved. I hadn't prayed and sought an, saw an answer. They wouldn't be as big in my life. When you're convinced, you'll act. When you're convinced, you'll act. I believe... No, you don't. I mean, I'm not saying that to be, like, mean or anything. But haven't you wanted to say, say that to someone before? When they told you, I really believe. You want to say, shut up. I mean, because it's one thing to say something. It's one thing just to be able to quote something. It's a whole other thing when you see as soon as they get up, they act like what they just said they believed was true. They pick it up as if it's real. This is a level that we've got to live on. Okay? But when you act, you become more convinced through the evidence or proof of, the, uh, of its reality and effective working. It's like if a person wants to become, they, they say, uh, you know, they go down to, uh, what's the, the outdoor store? Cabela's. They go, they go down to Cabela's and they get, um, they get the fishing gear and they get all tackled up. And they get a boat, and they get all the stuff, and they dress the part, and they get the rods and reels and, and everything they need, and, and they, they got the, you know, the camel clothes, and <laughs> maybe you don't need that when you fish, I don't know. But, uh, but they get all the stuff. Uh, let me ask you a question. Are, is, is that guy a fisherman who went and got all that stuff? He might look like one. He might be able to persuade a few people that he is one. All his neighbors think he's one. But after a while, when the boat never makes its way out of the garage, huh? when the things are never actually put into practice, I mean, no, that guy's not a fisherman. He's not until he gets out there and drops a line, reels one in. Now he's a fisherman. Hmm. But, but think about this even a little bit further. Even if he does go to that step and he, he's got all the stuff, got all the equipment, got all the gear, and, and he goes out and fishes and comes back day after day after day and doesn't catch anything. I'm not sure he's a fisherman. At least I could probably say this. He's not a very good one. Now, if this is becoming uncomfortable with anyone... I'm not talking about intent of the heart. I'm talking skill. I'm talking being adept at something. Many of us have the equipment. We've got the gear. We bought all the stuff. And people think, yeah, Christian. Go to, you know, goes to the fishing shows. Goes to the (laughs) church. Got the clothes. Got the lingo. Got all the stuff, but doesn't ever use the covenant that we have through Jesus. Doesn't ever take the promises of God and apply them in life. But right on the other hand, you know, if we're not getting any results, 
if all our prayers go unanswered. Supposedly prayer, supposed prayers. And, and if every time we seek something and need something, it's all about we run to natural source and run to man. And there's no real evidence of God working in our lives. I might be able to say, well, maybe you're a Christian. I'm not the judge of that, but you're not a very... What? Not a very good one. And I, I was like, oh, man, that's a low blow, Pastor. You call me not a very good Christian. I don't mean... I don't mean intent of the heart or not a good person. I mean not very skilled. I mean not very adept at Christian stuff. Walking with God. Seeing His intervention in and through our lives. That's what one of our high goals ought to be. Not just I have strong beliefs on paper. And I agree to certain scriptures from the Bible. But I see God working in me and through me. And I have a trail now of, of, of evidence, of proof of the reality of God. Now, not only do I have the tackle, not only do I go out and do stuff. I mean, I think there's no question with my neighbors. Yeah, that guy's a fisherman. That guy's a Christian. That guy's the real thing. Amen. This is a place we need to get to. James said, faith without works is dead. It is possible to believe something and have it dead. We've got to have these things active, alive, and working in our lives. Amen. Praise God. I have more to say, but we'll be back another day, won't we? I hope I hope so far we've been able to challenge you and stir you up and bring something that's useful, something that can move your heart in a direction to where at the very minimum we know what it looks like. We know what this is supposed to be and we can be going that direction. Say, I got a ways to go. Hey, welcome to the club. We're all walking with God and experiencing Him more and more. We've got things to work out. But let's be going the right direction. Come on now. Let's get that, you know. Please excuse the form. It's probably not correct. (laughs) But let's get out there and use the things that we do see are right and true and make a decision. This is mine. I will walk in it. I will enjoy the benefits of my salvation. Amen.